Welcome to the Proto Hack Podcast, where we explore the world of non technical entrepreneurship. Each week, Proto Hack co founders Blake McCammon and Cole Fox interview different non technical founders on the ins and outs of being a non technical founder in the technical world. Tune in to hear advice from non technical founders who've made it, profiles of entrepreneurs who have launched businesses and successfully raised capital, and stories of those who have made the most of non technical skills to achieve success. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ProtoHack Non-Technical Founder Podcast. This is Cole, the co-founder of ProtoHack. I'm joined today uh, by Mark Hogue, CEO and co-founder of Twibble, um, non-technical guy, and he's he's done a lot of great stuff in the startup space. He writes about a lot of things. Uh, you can visit him in his LinkedIn profile, uh, slash in, slash Mark Hogue. Um, and I'm sure he has some other links that he'll share later. But anyway, thanks for joining us, Mark. Hey, my pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks, Cole. Definitely. So um, let's talk about your current startup. Um, tell us uh, where you're at with it and, and how you came up with the idea. I think it was a spinoff of your your last company. I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, totally. It's uh, I guess it's a pretty stereotypical startup story in the sense that we kind of well, quite literally stumbled on it by accident. So for our previous startup, it was called Venture Rocket. Uh, it was a startup we'd been working on for four years. Uh, towards the end of its life, we uh, it was a job site, basically. So uh, employers could post jobs, job seekers could find jobs. And the idea was to be sort of a discovery site for uh, for employees and for jobs without any sort of searching involved. And one of the ways we wanted to sort of... Um, really broadcast the job listings, we thought it'd be pretty neat if we built sort of an RSS feeder where we could feed all the job listings and then tweet them all out, uh, uh, you know, sort of fast track the whole process. So we built this tool for Venture Rocket, uh, which did precisely that. And then kind of half of as a joke, half as a joke, actually more as a joke than seriously, we said, hey, what, you know, this is kind of cool. Why don't we release it to the public? And well, we did. And we suddenly realized, oh, this is actually pretty useful for a lot of people. Um, let's see what happens. Well, this was back in, I guess, what, almost about a year ago. Uh, by October, we ended up shutting down Venture Rocket, and we've been doing Twibble ever since. That's great. Um, so, uh, so you have some good traction with that, and and um, and what what are some of the next steps? So, so far, it's it's a funny thing. So given that Twibble was never meant for, shall we say, public consumption, uh, as could be imagined, we had some bumps along the way, uh, more like kind of a cliff. We had to fall off and learn how to fly, as they say, while falling. Um, suffice to say, Twibble could not begin to handle the growth. And as far back as about, uh, I guess, January, <laughs> we started having some really serious issues. Uh, so basically we've spent the past, let's see, we started, I guess, in February, eh, end of February, I guess we finally found some, uh, new developers and, uh, pretty much from February up until a few weeks ago, we quite literally ended up needing to rebuild Twibble from the ground up. So at least insofar as challenges go, there was that, uh, the downside is obviously that's a long time to essentially rebuild things. Obviously it put off a bunch of our users on the flip side. We did our best to keep everybody in the loop and be really, really proactive about support. And we've now got a Twibble, which is quite literally better than ever. So that's pretty neat. Ah, gotcha. Cool. Well, you've uh, you've done some pivots. You've uh, you definitely had to rebuild things. I'm sure there's some amazing lessons you've learned from that. Um, 
And uh, so as as somebody who's non-technical, um, it sounds like you've had to manage um, quite a bit of technical things. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a tech startup. Um, what are what are some of the things that you know or learned uh, that kind of make you, so to speak, be dangerous enough, you know, to, to manage engineers or, or is that even something you do? Um, but do you, I mean, are there certain kind of concepts or, or techniques that you use? Yeah, it's a good question. Obviously, it's a broad question with a lot of similarly broad answers. But I mean, I guess I'll start at a high level. I mean, generally speaking, it's true without, well, let me first very, uh, you know, I have no shame in admitting, obviously, the more technical skills you can bring to the party, the better. I mean, it's all right if you don't do actual coding, but it's great to have at least some working knowledge uh, without which it's pretty hard even to have a conversation with your engineering team. That said, uh, I'm not a coder, at least not by modern standards. I do have a background from sort of the early days of the internet, which, you know, when I was building some basic websites then. Um, so first of all, uh, perhaps somewhat tongue in cheek, at least I know my development team, they can at least have a conversation with me. So, so that was useful always. <laughs> um, but certainly, you know, all day long, given that there's no coding, yeah, the work involves really everything from, as you said, sort of working with the team, really trying to prioritize what needs to get done, which I think is best stated in the negative, figuring out what doesn't get, you know, what must not get done. I think one of the great things people have always heard said about Apple, about Steve Jobs specifically, right, was they were really, really great at saying no to things. And that's one of the things that was most important for us to learn is, you know, can't do this, mustn't do this, let's just do these few things. Um, in line with that, of course, is the uh, common lessons learned, uh, in no small part popularized by, was it Eric Ries, uh, his book, The Lean Startup, that really is important. And that was a mistake we made a long, you know, a lot, uh, not being lean enough. And um, so whether it's sort of managing the team, prioritizing what needs to get done, there's also a lot of practical matters. I mean, I often joke, and I think a lot of engineers will very happily agree, Really good developers don't really want to be involved in any of this sort of, shall we say, the really hard business aspects. They don't want to go out there pitching investors. They don't want to go out there trying to close deals. They just want to sit and do great code. And I don't think that's a criticism. That's actually a compliment. Um, so to the extent of raising money, you know, to the extent of trying to get the word out there for what you're building, and most critically with Twibble, including and especially because of the uh, previously mentioned issues with rebuilding the site, all the support issues. Uh, as Paul Graham once famously wrote in a killer essay, uh, a startup should be as unscalable as long as possible. And of course, what he was referring to was customer support. In other words, be as personal, be as direct, respond to each and every single customer within seconds as long as you possibly can. It's totally an unscalable thing, and there is a certain point at which you simply can't do it, but do it as long as you can. And uh, that'll be worth its weight in gold. And certainly I've been very active involved with that as well. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit more about um, about just how you got your product built. Um, did you did you find a co-founder? Um, I know you had a CTO before. Um, or are you more just outsourcing this? What's kind of your process in, in getting getting this, your, your technology built? Yeah, it's a good question. So... Initially, uh, so as we discussed earlier, right, so initially this was really just a quick hacked together thing, uh, just a side project um, when Venture Rocket was still kind of floundering along towards the end of its life. And um, 
I should mention that it's somewhat interesting to note. It was actually one of two, or at times even three, depending on how you counted, um, sort of internal test projects we were kind of hacking together in an attempt to see, you know, figure out what would stick. And so we eventually, well, we essentially divided our small little team. There was four of us. So it was two engineers, uh, our lead designer, uh, and, and me. Uh, and we essentially broke up into two teams of two, really. Uh, to see, you know, who could build the coolest thing that worked quickest. <laughs> so that said, the initial build of, of what became Twibble was literally packed together in, well, believe it or not, I think there was actually a working version within a couple of days. And if I'm not mistaken, we ended up essentially pushing it live within, I want to say a week or two. Um, so we had one engineer who did all that. And astonishingly, Miraculously, <laughs> uh, it actually worked to a point. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Cool. Um, and and these are how how did you find these folks? Oh right. Sorry. So so yeah. So this initial team uh, that we put together for Venture Rocket. So uh, it's a pretty wild story, actually. Um, to the point made earlier, it's really hard to start a startup if you aren't a coder. I mean, I'll just throw that out there right now. It's extremely extremely hard. Because you're going to be faced with one of two uh, difficult issues, right? Uh, any good developers worth their weight in gold, generally and rightfully so, I think, aren't necessarily going to want to work with you. After all, depending on your point of view, they may not necessarily need you. On the flip side, to what I, to the point I mentioned earlier, a lot of really great developers actually very much welcome that dual role, uh, where you kind of fill the shoes for the the hard business side, and they can take up all the coding. Uh, and so that's what you really want to look for as a non-technical co-founder is uh, the very real situation where you, some developers just they, they really don't want to be involved. They're very happy to hand off that business workload to somebody else. So in my case, that's what I was looking for, obviously. Um, a couple of guys who really wanted to just focus on code and nothing else. So uh, let's see, four years ago, so shortly after law school, uh, when I stumbled on the idea of, of building Venture Rocket, uh, well, certainly I interviewed a ton of people. Met a bunch of people through LinkedIn and et cetera, and um, unsurprisingly, sort of fueling the initial uh, desire to build VR was this problem that everyone we interviewed was totally unqualified to the point where we're sort of like, hey, why, why are we even, you know, why are we meeting right now? Uh, ultimately, long story short, met these two guys through a mutual friend uh, whom I'd met several years earlier, briefly uh, when I was starting law school. <laughs> um, it was just a very weird, small world kind of thing. Met these two guys. We built Venture Rocket. It was great. Since shutting down VR, though, um, it's been a bit different. Um, to their credit, they went on, and uh, my two initial co-founder engineering team, they've now gone on and to, to do uh, two other separate projects, two other companies. Uh, meanwhile, our lead designer, um, who was the guy who initially came up with the idea of Twibble, his name is Ryan Lum. He's an absolutely astounding uh, graphics designer. Uh, I should mention as an aside, he's actually got the largest creative guerrilla marketing blog in the world. Um, so it was he who came up with the idea of Twibble because uh, he's got a ton of experience in all things social media and growth. So he and I sort of ran with the Twibble ball, as it were. He and I spun Twibble out of VR. And to continue development, especially to the point of rebuilding it, as I mentioned, for that, we did go the outsourcing route. And I'm pleased to say, we found some absolutely spectacular uh, developers in Bulgaria, um, and we couldn't be happier working with them. That's great. Congratulations. Thanks. 
Okay, cool. So, um, so essentially, long story short, you, at, at, at least at this point, um, you're outsourcing. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Although, um, I guess unofficially, I, I say with great pride, it almost doesn't feel like that anymore. In fact, um, you know, I think one of the big concerns and risks everybody thinks about with outsourcing is, well, precisely that it is this thing called outsourcing. And it seems sort of disconnected. It seems sort of, oh, I'm giving my code to some other people I don't even know and blah, blah, blah. And I think those are very realistic concerns. In our case, the only reason we decided to go along with this was, first of all, um, I met um, sort of the lead guy of their group. He was out in San Francisco. We met and um, – well, I should say, I mean, I think one great thing about all of us sort of as, as years go by, one of the great things is we learn what we're good at and what we're not. And one of the things I've come to pride myself in, I'm pretty lucky, if not good at, uh, being a pretty quick judge of people pretty well. And I just took an immediate liking to the guy. I trusted him. He came off as very, very sort of honest, very upfront, fully transparent, sort of no BS kind of guy. And, you know, given the alternative, which was risking it with some other people that I didn't have the chance to meet – I decided to run with it, and it was, frankly, a phenomenally good decision. Fantastic. Um, well, cool. Let's, uh, let's talk about funding. Um, so you may or may not have funding right now, but I know with, uh, with previous ventures like Venture Rocket, you had gotten some funding. Uh, tell me about your story about that. Well, yeah, it's a, <laughs> that's an interesting story. Um, so... Right. So currently we do not have funding for Twibble for a variety of reasons, not least of which that, well, let's just say that we all learned our lesson quite concisely with Venture Rocket, which is uh, there is such a thing as raising money too early. Um, to put it simply, you better have either users or revenue, or ideally both. And <laughs> depending on how you look at it, uh, to our credit or, uh, you know, I don't know how you want to see it, but we, we ended up raising money for Venture Rocket. We had neither revenue nor users. Oh, we barely had uh, a product. I mean, it worked, but it was really, really early stage. Um, in our defense, and certainly to the defense of our investors, uh, with whom we've still got a great relationship and you know, with whom we're still very close, I mean, at the time, it made a lot of sense. And even looking back on it now, with the knowledge and with the experience and where we were at that time – Mind you, this was nearly three years after we had started working on the product. Uh, getting funding was not only a logical step, it was a necessary step if we were going to have any chance of going any further. So I, I think in our case, you know, that's just the way it had to be. It was great. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, the lesson we came out of is, look, just don't – you know, generally speaking, don't bother unless you have either the revenue or the users or both. It's it's just foolish and it's it's far too difficult. Ah, yeah, good, definitely good lesson. Um, cool. Um, are you able to talk about why you're currently not raising money for Tobol? Yeah, sure. It's a good question. Well, it's sort of along those lines. I mean, I am happy to say that it's fr frankly growing at a much better pace than VR ever did. Uh, you know, Venture Rocket, like as I said, it, from start to finish, it was a nearly four year endeavor for us. And even in those four years, we just never managed to pick up steam. You know, uh, it was a phenomenal learning experience. Uh, it was a massively complex thing we were trying to tackle. And the job market is not just something you jump in and say, oh, hey, I think I'm going to fix this. Um, here with Twibble, we are very pleased indeed that, um, well, 
without going into too much detail, suffice to say, look, we're at least covering our costs already, and that's huge. Um, so we're able to sort of keep things running, uh, which is just great. Uh, you know, if indeed we get to the point where we have, you know, again, either a sufficient growth curve of users or revenue or both, uh, and if we still need to raise money to further accelerate those growth uh, factors, then yeah, sure, we'll raise money then. Uh, to do so now would be a bit premature. Uh, to that end, um, I do always recommend certainly keep relationships with existing investors, certainly uh, spark new relationships uh, all the time, whenever you can, keep keep investors in the loop. And really, don't be ashamed or embarrassed to very proudly look an investor in the eye and say, look, um, we're not ready to raise money yet. Thank you, but no thanks, you know, um, but rather here's what we're doing, here's what we're working on, we'd love to reconnect with you when we are ready. I think uh, saying that proudly, transparently, is kind of worth its weight in gold, rather than the usual thing they get tired of hearing, oh, hey, give us some money right now, that's just a bit stupid. Definitely, yeah. Not to mention, totally futile. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, okay, great, well, thanks for sharing that. Um, let's, uh, we're kind of coming to the end here, actually. Um, you're, you're very good at answering questions questions clearly and concisely <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I always account for people blabbering on but you're well, good, good at i guess law school it. was good for something what can i say <laughs> <laughs> actually that, let, let's talk about that so you sure. you went through law school and then you became an entrepreneur uh yeah what was, what was the switch yeah it's an interesting question um it's worth taking a quick step further back. So I actually started my undergraduate studies at UCLA as an astrophysics major. So most of my background all my life has been mostly maths and sciences with, with also a bunch of liberal arts stuff, you know, splattered about here and there. For example, I almost applied to UCLA film school because I love film and film production and so on. Um, law school was a decision I fell into simply because, well, academically, frankly, law is just freaking awesome. It's just fascinating. You've got to sit in a classroom for hours on end, three years in a row, you better at least be fascinated by it. And it is really cool stuff to study. Um, that said, I really thought it'd be neat to go into law um, to be on the other side of startups, namely working with startups. I was lucky, really lucky during law school uh, to work with a really big um, corporate law firm. Uh, they were based in, I guess, what was it? Uh, well, somewhere in Silicon Valley. Um, I think Redwood City um, for Foster City or whatever. Uh, and I was real lucky to be there for a summer. And that was just a phenomenal experience. Um, sadly, <laughs> uh, I finished law school in 2008. Uh, that was a disaster for law firms, including, and especially the big law firms and somewhat comically, uh, not to mention ironically, when I got my bar exam results, uh, let's see in October, that's when we got the results, uh, that I had passed, uh, that law firm actually ended up shuttering its doors because of the, uh, economic downturn. So suddenly there I was flopping about. Not sure what I was going to do. Uh, ended up dipping my toes into starting my own law practice while simultaneously still, of course, applying to law firms all up and down California. But the fact is just nobody was hiring. Admittedly, I went to a really small law school in San Diego, which, you know, and, and law firms being the way they are, that certainly worked against me. On the other hand, I had buddies who went to big, huge, you know, East Coast law schools, and they too were in the same boat. The fact is law firms simply weren't hiring. And so you put all this together, me trying to start my own law firm, uh, as well as applying to other firms to get, you know, it'd be great to get some further experience, right? Uh, I realized, well, this kind of sucks. It shouldn't be this hard to get a job. Uh, you know, I'm a UCLA graduate. I'm a, I'm a licensed attorney in California. Why is this so difficult? 
And so that's how I fell into doing Venture Rocket. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, so as far as being an entrepreneur goes, is, is that something you see yourself doing the rest of your life? Like, or do you, do you see yourself ever working for somebody again? What's kind of your philosophy about entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's a really uh, complicated question to answer, so I'll do my best. Uh, feel free to fast-forward me or uh, cut me off. But you know, I tried to write about this recently, actually, on LinkedIn, because I think it's a really oh, – geez. It's a really um, complicated matter for a lot of complicated reasons. Um, to, to get started, though, I'll say sort of what I wrote about, which is me personally, yeah, look, and I think for anybody doing a startup – uh, doing a startup is not just something you decide to do one day. As I've often joked, it's not like, you know, oh, I think I'm going to eat a filet mignon today. Oh, I think I'm going to do a startup today. No, it's not like that. You don't just sort of think you'd like to do it. Either it's in you and it drives you and you're compelled to do it from within, totally inexplicably, um, or you frankly damn well shouldn't be doing it. It's not like a thing you decide to do. You're just driven to do it internally. Um, so to that end, yeah, that's that's how I've been since, well, ever, certainly since school finished. And I should mention, as an aside, actually, even when I was in undergraduate at UCLA, I actually took two leaves of absence to investigate two other startups at the time. This was back in, um, let's see, the early 2000s. And again, it was the sort of thing I can still remember now telling my parents, hey, I'm going to drop out of school for a year. Um, it really wasn't a thing that I could avoid doing. I, I simply had to do it. So... Being an entrepreneur then is a thing that you simply need to do, whether it's temporary, whether it's long-term, whether it's for life. I think that varies from individual to individual. For me, for now, that's definitely my thing now. It's really what I'm driven to do. It's really all I care to do. Doing anything else just doesn't make any sense to me. I can't even comprehend a different sort of life. Um, that said, you know what I was writing about was this notion that unfortunately, San Francisco uh, so I've lived half my adult life in San Francisco and LA and San Diego. Um, San Francisco really has sort of become, well, Silicon Valley has become the new Hollywood, right? I, I think like ever since the release of uh, the phenomenally great Facebook movie, the social of um, the uh, social network. Yes. Social network. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a really tragic trend to startups being, you know, the thing that all the cool kids do. Uh, Everyone now flocks to Silicon Valley to do a startup in the same way that certainly here in NorCal, we've always you know, made fun of those of us in SoCal. Oh, look, everyone goes to LA because they want to make it big in Hollywood, either as an actor, a model, or a, or a screenplay writer. And I don't mean this to criticize anyone or any part of the state, but frankly, that's exactly what's happened. You know, I think people are going to Hollywood for the wrong reasons. I think people are going to Silicon Valley for the wrong reasons. It's not a cool thing at all. It's brutally, face-distortingly awful. I mean, you will, you know, cry blood and sweat thorns and all that stuff. Um, and I think, first of all, assuming that you're that you should be there doing it in the first place for the reasons I mentioned earlier, it's this internal drive, not simply a desire, but rather a need. Then the issue becomes, well, how do you balance your life? And all too often, people just fail miserably at this because there's this notion that you got to kind of show off. Oh, look at me! I'm working 17, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, two years straight. That's just crap. A, it's not going to work, and B, even if it does work, what the hell is the point? Sacrificing your life, your health, your family and friends, it's just not worth it. And so I think it's really critically important to learn how to balance all this with respect to, well, first of all, health, and second of all, friends and family. And I guess the last point I just want to make, 
is the importance of having a role model, a mentor, whether it's, you know, your parents, your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whatever, or in my case, one of my dearest of friends, I've known the guy for 15 years. Um, he ended up starting a huge company in Silicon Valley. Uh, about a year or two ago, he made Inc. Magazine 30 under 30. They raised like 50 million bucks about a year or two ago, which was one of the largest ever at that time. And, um, I'm not saying this to brag about me, but rather for him and how lucky I have been uh, to see not so much his success with his company, but rather his success with his friends and his family in the following sense. Um, you know, he's pretty much worked 14 hours a day, certainly five or six days a week for the 10 years the company's been around. And he's always had a one hour commute to and from work. He has always still made a point and still continues to make a point to hang out with his friends every single evening, practically, um, when he gets home from work at the end of the night, which is typically around 9 or 10 p.m. If not to have a whole dinner, just maybe grab a cup of tea and chat for an hour or so, and that's it. The poor guy is, you know, half falling asleep, exhausted, but he makes the effort. He makes the effort to not sacrifice those things, because at the end of the day, it's not worth it. And so having this balance, and so that's something I really, really respect in him. And honestly, I've never seen anyone else do this. Not to the extent that he does. So I just think it's really, really important and people need to realize this. Yeah, that's that's definitely important. I think balance is is ironically something that makes you more productive because you're you're back and fresh and ready to, you know, do stuff and at work and stay creative and stay happy. I, th I think happiness leads to a lot of serendipity and good luck as well, just being in that state of um, you know, a positive uh, vibe, whatever you want to call it, emotion. Um, if you're kind of walking around sad all the time or overworked, you're just not going to emit those those good vibes, kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's totally true. Um, you know, and I, I think too, it's really important. Look, I mean, there's a time and as we always said in school, right? There's a time and a place to to pull an all nighter. We all did it now and then, right? Um, not advisable, but we did it. <laughs> and uh, similarly, there's a time and a place to do the all nighters for for your startup. Um, but you know, to do it, to, to have this ridiculous, absurd belief that you need to do this seven days a week, year after year after year, is just stupid. It just doesn't work. It's not sustainable, and um, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and again, kind of, you know, to what end? Like, why do this? Definitely. Well, Mark, that wraps up our podcast with you, um, everyone. This is Mark Hogue of Twibble. Uh, Mark, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, so certainly, given that Twibble is a Twitter tool, certainly I'm active on Twitter. So just, you know, at Mark Hogue, M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G uh, is certainly the best way. If anyone's got my email, that works too. Um, yeah, I'm happy to respond to anyone who wants to shoot me a note. Sounds good. Well, thank you for sharing all your wisdom. Um, you know, it's not often where we bring, we've, we've had about 10 of these podcasts so far and, uh, Honestly, I got to say, it's amazing that you're, you were able to share um, a failure or essentially a pivot um, with us. And, and nobody else has really talked about that and talked through that as articulately as you have um, in addition to even talking about it. So, Well, um, very I, I got to say on that note, uh, my last closing comment then will be, I genuinely believe a failure is only a failure if you actually let it be a thing. And in our case, we could have very easily closed shop close shop, walk our different ways. So by enabling us to sort of transition into Twibble or pivot into Twibble, as it were, suddenly that failure 
didn't become one. And that's, I think, what people got to realize. It's only a failure if you let it be a failure. You're totally right. That's It's all about framing it and moving on and learning and, and growing and iterating, just like totally. before. Totally, exactly. So, all right. Well, thanks again, Mark. And uh, I'll let you know when our podcast is released. Cool, man.